I will be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 14, I mean, sorry, chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has right, righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Yeah, when King Edward VIII, uh, who, king of the uh, United Kingdom, he died about 50 years ago. He recalled back when he was a kid and his father, King George V, was a pretty strict disciplinarian. And when he would be found doing something wrong, his father would admonish him, my dear boy, remember who you are. Our father, the king, says the same thing to you and me. My dear child, remember who you are. You're not like everybody else. You're different. Others may do this and that, but you cannot. I have higher standards and expectations for you. Now, if you're a guest with us today and you're not, you're not a Christian, then you're off the hook, you get a pass, <laughs> and you're probably going to be glad that you're not a Christian today because, look, God calls us his saints. We're supposed to be these holy ones who are, belong to God and we're expected to be like God. We're supposed to be used for God's purposes. God is absolutely holy and we're supposed to be too. Now, God's holy in a couple of different ways. One is that God is wholly different than us, above us, beyond us, majestically transcendent, and we can't be like that. Nobody else is like God in that way. But secondly, God is morally perfect. He is absolutely righteous, and he does call us to be like him in that way. 1 Peter 3.15 says, He who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. And of course, nobody is. None of us is perfectly holy. None of us is without sin. Uh, we've all fallen short, which is why God sends his son into the world to die on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven and accounted as holy. You know, that, that we would be covered in his righteousness, which is what makes us right with God. He sees us as perfect because of his son. And not only that, but he then fills us with his spirit so that we can actually begin to live as holy, that we progress in our holiness. In spite of our unholiness, God's son is living on us. And in that sense, we're counted as sinless. His spirit is living in us. And that helps us to sin less and less and less as we progress in this lifelong process of pursuing holiness practically. Hebrews 12, 14 says, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, the only time I think you hear the word holy today is when it's attached to some you know, frivolous word like moly or, or guacamole or holy Toledo, you know, as if, or holy, you know, cow or crud or worse, I won't go there. But, you know, holy is a special word. It's sacred. It means it's something that belongs to God. 
So I think you ought to be cautious in what you attach the word holy to. You don't even hear it much in churches these days. You know, when you, when you think of a holy man or a holy woman, what do you think of? You might think of somebody with a very serious, sour face who never has any fun and scowls at people who do. You know, I don't do this and I don't do that. Uh, you know, no gambling, no dancing, no swimwear, no movies. I don't drink, smoke, or chew or go with girls who do. Is that really what holiness is? You know, it, how do we live those kinds of holy lives today? Paul is telling those Corinthian Christians, he says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I want you to go out from their midst and be separate. What does that mean for us? Well, it goes back to the imagery of farming when a farmer would hook up two animals together to plow a field. He would hook a yoke over them, right? So you see there how you had to be two animals that were pretty similar uh, that could you know, do the work, go in the same direction and all that. You, you wouldn't hook up an ox to a donkey. In fact, Scripture forbid that back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 22. Not only because they have different natures and they're not going to work well together, but because God had designated back then some animals were clean and some were unclean. So an ox was clean, a donkey was unclean. You couldn't bind them together, connect them, yoke them. Because these clean animals could be used for God's purposes. They could be devoted to him as sacrificial animals. The unclean ones could not. So you see how that applies to us as people. God sets us apart as his people to be holy. Right? We're set apart for his purposes, devoted to his service. Unbelievers are not. And so we cannot be yoked together. I mean, it's the idea here of being cleansed. If we're, if we're among the clean, then we've been forgiven and we're useful to God. If you're not belonging to Christ, then you're not clean yet. You don't belong to the Lord yet. In fact, that's what our whole baptism shows. Is it's a bath. You go down to water, you get cleansed, right? And so you get this picture of yoking means we're heading down the same path, we're heading in the same direction, we're doing the same work, so how can you be yoked to an unbeliever who's going in a different direction? Who's, who's not doing God's work? You know, you just, it just doesn't work. Now, that doesn't mean we can't be friends with those who aren't believers. Of course, we, we want to be friends, but we, we can't be in such close association, have such a connection that we would be considered yoked. Why? Because of our fundamental differences. And Paul talks about it in four different ways. He asks four questions. He says, what does righteousness have to do with lawlessness? And we've been covered in Christ's righteousness, while those who have not are still living in sin, in lawlessness apart from God. They're still separated from God. So if we yoke ourselves with them, then we join them, align ourselves with their separation from God instead of aligning with God and, and separating from them. Secondly, Paul says, what does light have to do with darkness? We're called the light of the world because we're reflecting Christ. We're shining the truth. Those who are not believers are still in the dark. They, they haven't seen the truth yet, and so we are, we're absolute opposites. Third, he says, what does Christ have to do with Belial? We who are in Christ belong to the Lord. And if you don't belong to Christ, then whether you realize it or not, you belong to Belial. Who's that? Well, back then, they would have understand that's Satan, a word for Satan. In fact, the word Belial seems to come from the word worthless, so he, you know, the worthless one. And fourth, what does the temple of God have to do with idols? 
You know, again, Old Testament imagery. God lived in this temple symbolically. He dwelt in this building in Jerusalem where you have this most holy place inside, the Holy of Holies, the room that contained the Ark of the Covenant and God's special presence dwelt in that sacred place. Now, in Christ, that has been fulfilled. We become his temple. He no longer lives in buildings. He's not in this church building. He is in us as his people. We're his temple. But idolaters are those who do not follow Christ. Why? Because they have something else in their life that's more important than God. They, they devote their lives to something other than God. That makes you an idolater. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul reminds him, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you had from God? You are not your own. So God lives in you. So don't commit your body to sin. Don't defile your body uh, devote it to the Lord. And that's our big idea, is to keep yourself a holy temple for God. Each one of us individually is temples. Together as his church, we're his temple. He dwells among us. In fact, the very word church literally means those who are called out from the world to be his special people. We were under the influence of Satan and his system. We're now in God's kingdom. And Paul refers back again to the Old Testament to the book of Isaiah, talking about God says, I'm going to dwell among you. You're going to be my people. I'm going to walk among you. God commanded the Israelites, look, I want you to remain separate from the other nations. I don't want you to be like those idolatrous nations around you. I don't want you to intermix with them. I don't want you to intermarry with them. And it had nothing to do with racial purity or ethnic purity. It had to do with spiritual purity because anybody from any nation could convert and come to Israel and worship the one true God. And they were made clean through that. But he doesn't want his people to devote themselves to other gods and to participate in those sinful behaviors. But we know the, the history of it. Israelites over and over would become idolaters. They would be just like all the other nations around them. And so God said, fine, go ahead and be like the other nations. And he let godless, wicked nations like Assyria and Babylon come in, capture them and haul them off to these other nations. He said, there, there you go. But at some point he said, all right, Enough's enough. It's time for you to leave those nations, come out of Babylon, come back home, be separate from them. Even while they lived there in Babylon, they were supposed to be different from everybody around them. And that's where we are today. We live in Babylon. We live in this world system in rebellion against God. And yet we're also citizens of heaven. So we're caught between these two kingdoms where we're in the world, but we're not of it. We're not supposed to be like the world. We're supposed to be sons and daughters of the king. So, my dear children, remember who you are. You represent him. Remember? We've talked about you're his ambassadors in this world. Paul's still quoting from the Old Testament when he, he says, touch no unclean thing. That refers back to the Jews who were forbidden to defile themselves by touching a corpse or a festering sore, or eating an unclean animal. Uh, the, the, the idea there was if you did, then you have contaminated yourself. So every time the Jews disobey that and they touch something unclean, they had to remove themselves, come out from the community and be separate, and go through a period of time of being ritually cleansed. In fact, any time that they washed. They washed their hands, they washed their bodies, they washed their clothes. It was an object lesson about the holiness of God to show that I am not clean, but he is. 
So I need him to make me clean. In fact, again, that's what baptism does for us today. It cleanses us. That's why baptism is a bath. You know, you're taking an outer bath, but really it's an inner cleansing. So for us today, we're not concerned about touching unclean things, touching a, a dead body or uh, eating an unclean animal, you know, or, or touching a, a, a sore. Or that's not a thing for us anymore because it's, it never really was about that. It was about what was inside. It's an inner moral purity of being like God. We're to obey the Lord in all things. And there were some who tried to do that. By the time Jesus came along, there was this strict sect of Jews called the separated ones. We know them by the term Pharisees. Pharisees were actually a good thing. I mean, because the idea was we're going to separate ourselves and prevent ourselves from being contaminated by the world around us. Good. All right. But their separation degenerated into merely an outward thing where they, they obeyed this list of rules that made them seem outwardly clean, but inwardly they were still a hot mess, right? And Jesus got all over the case for that. He says, look, you guys, you wash the outside of the cups and the dishes, but inside you're still full of corruption and robbery and self-indulgence. You look good on the outside, but inside you're still a mess. So how far do we go today in being the separated ones? Create some separation anxiety, right? Like we don't know how, how far we can go in being different from the rest of the world. Some Christians have just kind of given in and they barely are any different from anybody else in the world. They just go along to get along, they blend in and they're really no different from anybody else and that's what causes the world to look on us with uh, derision and mocking because they look, they say, you're no different than anybody else, you're no better than me, why in the world should I become like you? They see all this moral laxity and hypocrisy in the church and, and they say, you're no different. We would call that maybe a casual holiness or a cultural holiness because we're no more holy than anybody else in the culture. So it's just like throwing up a white flag. It's just surrender. We're just going to be like everybody else. We can't do that. Some go the other direction and they completely retreat. They don't surrender. They retreat. They completely isolate themselves from the world. We may think of holy men and holy women who wear those you know, special clothes and robes and hats and collars and hairstyles and hoods. Why? So they look different from the world. We're not like everybody else. Or you might think of the separatist monks or nuns in the Middle Ages who would cloister away behind the walls of convents and monasteries in order to you know, avoid all sensual pleasures and contamination with the world. Great idea, but it doesn't work because walls don't keep sin out. It's right here in the heart. It creeps in because sin begins right within you. It's, it's got to be an inside job. Or you might think of the Amish communities today, right, who withdraw from the world. They become their own little thing and so they can be holy. And it's like it's a noble idea. We kind of admire that. Because let's face it, you look around at the corruption of the world, everybody can see the world's falling apart. Everything's unraveling morally. Nobody can, can not see that. And doesn't it make you feel sometimes like, I just want to get out of here. I just want to go live far away in some isolated, distant cabin in the woods, right? I feel that way sometimes too. But that's not an option for us. Because God doesn't call us to surrender. He doesn't call us to retreat. He, he doesn't want us to descend into a defeatist attitude of of withdrawing from the world because we've got a mission to engage with the world to be in it but not of it so how do we 
do this. How, here's how I believe we can be a separate people today. Number one, avoid close ties with unbelievers. Don't form a partnership or a fellowship with people who don't have the same commitment to Christ that you have, that you don't have the same spiritual harmony and agreement so closely that you would be called yoked together with them. And look, there's a difference between a casual association and being so close that you're considered yoked. Right? We tell this to our kids. We say, choose your companions carefully because you will become like them. Right? Birds of a feather flock together. You will be influenced by the company you keep. And that, that's true for all of us, no matter what age we are. Isn't that true? But some of you will think, well, no, I, I, it doesn't apply to me. I can handle it. But that's not what Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians. He says, don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. But look, separation doesn't equal isolation because Jesus calls us to be the salt of the earth, which means we've got to get out of the salt shaker and into the world in order to penetrate the culture to be a purifying, positive presence to represent the Lord. How do we do that? I mean, how can we even carry out Christ's commission to go make disciples unless we're in the world and around unbelievers? We need to be around unbelievers to share with them the good news. Jesus was, I mean, Jesus was around sinners. He was even called a friend of sinners. But he did not support, enable, or participate in their sin. You got to be careful about being so close to somebody you associate with that you participate in their ungodly lifestyle. So let me give you some practical examples of what this would include. One is to avoid joining fraternities, sororities, and lodges. Why? Because you're calling them brothers and sisters when they're not, when they're not believers. That's reserved only for those you share a father with. That's reserved only for your Christian family. So always examine closely any group that you are considering making a commitment to or that you're pledging allegiance to. Because it may look good from the outside that you're serving and you're doing good things, but what ungodly activities are going on too. If there's so much partying going on and hooking up going on all around you, an environment can become so corrupt, you need to get out of there before it takes you down with it. You, you, you can't be a part of that. What kind of oath are they asking you to take? Whatever civic group it is. It could be Rotary, Elks, Moose, Seroptimus, and they do a lot of good things. Don't get me wrong. They provide great places for social interaction, for friendship and all that. Here's my concern. As Christians, we already belong to an organization that's supposed to be supplying that kind of fellowship and, and doing good, serving others. It's called the local church. So these organizations, as much good as they do, they really are functioning as kind of a secular or at least a mildly religious kind of church, a substitute for church for people who don't go to church. They might even require belief in God. You think, well, that's a good thing. Well, even demons believe in God. So, you know, who are you really partnering with? You know, what are they really all about? I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not. You might join such a group in order to be a witness for Christ. But what I'm asking you to consider is, are these in competition with the church? Are they doing the very same things that we should be doing together in the church, but we want to make sure Christ gets the glory for it, that the gospel is proclaimed because of it. It's not going to happen in those kinds of groups. You also have to consider what kind of unbiblical beliefs or rituals or even false teaching that might be spread. 
in that group. And that's why the Masonic Lodge is especially problematic because it functions in many ways as a kind of religion. And you know, you know this, the kind of, all the auxiliaries as well, Demolay, Job's Daughters, um, the Shriners, they all function in this way because of the, the loyalty, secret oaths that they make you take to be a part of this, this place where you have a worshipful master in charge of the lodge and they have prayers and they have this temple and they're teaching these doctrines about God, that there's just one God of all people no matter what religion you are. It's a very deistic and universalistic kind of religion. It's not Christianity. So you have to really know what kind of people and beliefs are you binding yourself together with. I would also suggest avoid business partnerships with unbelievers. Why? Because it's hard enough to go into business with somebody that you share values and ethics with. You know, with a fellow Christian, you're still going to have conflict. But, man, when you're in business with somebody who doesn't share your ethics and your values, now you're taking it up to a whole new level where you may feel pressured to go against, to compromise your principles, to cut corners, to even disobey the law. And when you're, when you're involved in that, you've got to get out of that. You've got to separate from that. Let's talk about your closest partnership. To avoid marrying someone spiritually incompatible. Now, that's not the main context of this passage, but to whom are you more closely yoked with than the person that you become one with? The two become one for life. <laughs> that's the ultimate yoking. And that's why in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, make sure you marry only someone in the Lord. This is the most important part of premarital counseling I do. When I meet with a couple, the first thing I want to know is, are you both Christians? And if one is not, then you shouldn't be married. There's an incompatibility there, and you're in for all kinds of trouble because you have different masters, you're heading in different directions, you have different values, and sure enough, you are going to be influenced by the values of your life partner. It doesn't matter how much more in common you have. If you don't have that basic spiritual foundation, you are incompatible, and you're going to wind up in two very different destinies, right? Till death do we part. Well, you really will part at death forever. Now, understand, Paul's not saying to come out from a mixed marriage. If you're already in it, he says, 1 Corinthians 7, don't do that. Stay in that marriage. It's a valid marriage. You be the best Christian spouse and example you can be. But if you want to have a Christian home, it begins with your dating life. What kind of people are you dating? You know, you might go out on a first date, and that's fine, you know, whoever it is, to find out what kind of person they are. But if you find out they're not a committed Christian like you, then what are you doing why are you continuing? You're not going to be able to win them by wooing them, right? That's not how it works. Uh, it, it, you know, you're not called to missionary dating. You know, you're really binding yourself together. You, here's what happens is you don't intend it to happen, but you end up falling in love with somebody who doesn't love the Lord, who is supposed to be your first love. So now you've got a competition going on for who's really your first love. And even if you stay together, you know, you're, you're, you're trying for years and years, you're trying to convert them, convert them, and you're probably going to waste a lot of years doing that. And even if you do stay together, I mean, there's going to be all kinds of conflict about how to raise your kids, how to spend your money, how to spend your time. Church becomes competition for time with your spouse. You know, it's just this, this whole thing where you're, you're setting yourself up for trouble. You're setting yourself up for divorce. And you know the stats that Christian marriages the rate is almost as high for divorce as it is everybody else. But that's, I think, among more casual, cultural Christians. 
among those who are committed Christians to really being one in Christ, spiritual foundation involved in church, the divorce rate is way, way lower, all right? So what kind of person do you want to spend your life with? Somebody who is going to help you become a stronger Christian, help you grow closer to the Lord, or somebody who is going to potentially draw you away from the Lord? To be separated from the Lord, for the Lord, means you've got to be, avoid any unholy alliance. But number two, it means to clean out the pollution. We've got to keep ourselves morally clean, not be polluted in any way. I mean, think about it. If I were to give you a glass of water, and I told you it's 99% pure, 1% sewage, would you drink it? Right? So if you're saying, look, I want to have God in my life, well, that means probably something's got to go. You need to clean it out, right? You may not be involved in, like, gross immorality, but 1 Corinthians 7.1, we read, says, whatever defiles body or spirit, cleanse yourself from that. Get rid of those influences. Anything that keeps you from being fully devoted to God 100% needs to go. Now, sometimes we make it so easy to sin. Don't make it easy. I mean, get rid of the influences. You're saying, well, what, I got to throw out my TV? I got to disconnect from the internet? Maybe, but not necessarily. But, you know, th those are sources of temptation. So you got to have some safeguards in place, some boundaries, some accountability. I, I talked about last week, because we're all vulnerable. It's all around us. I, I, last week I said, I think we are living in such great times of temptation like never seen before simply because of the accessibility of it all. There's so much sexual enticement saturating every part of our society, every part of our life. I mean, there's so much easy access to porn. It's everywhere, which is why sexual immorality is not only rampant in the culture, it's even rampant in the church. But God still expects his people to be pure. So yeah, I would expect fewer movies would be better than more movies because most of them are not worth watching. I just made a decision as a teenager. I said, no more R-rated movies for me. I just know that they're not, I'm not going to go there. It's not going to be good to fill my mind with that stuff. I made the same decision at the same time about my record collection. I started playing Frisbee with my record album because most of the lyrics were bad. And I just said, I don't need that in my life anymore. I threw them out. And no, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, you know, because let's face it, alcohol and drug abuse is a plague. Tobacco is harmful. It's addicting. I don't gamble, it's, it's, it can be harmful, destructive, or at the very least, it can be an unwise stewardship of God's money. Let's face it, nobody can deny that a lot of clothing is way too immodest, and that dancing can be dirty, but mine is just ugly. Point is, I'm all for clean living, but we can go too far the other direction and be like the Pharisees and have our list of rules and think we're being holy because we don't do this and we don't do that. It can't be about my list of rules for you to live by because purity is an insight job. Pollution begins in the heart and you got to deal with that. So let me throw out some questions for you to consider. What are you filling your mind with? Maybe it's time to take out the trash. What are you watching on your screens? Maybe it's time to clean it up. I mean, are you laughing at too many filthy jokes? Time to tidy it up. What's on your playlist? Probably need to sanitize it. What are you posting on your platforms? May need to clean that up too. I mean, we had a guy in the church who was 
posting on Facebook all kinds of indecent, vulgar things. And some other Christians called him out on it. Said, hey, brother, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing that. And instead of being ashamed of it or even being grateful for being corrected, he just got mad and left. How about the words coming out of your mouth? Maybe it's time to break out that bar of soap. Wash it out. What do you fill in your heart? Is your heart filled with hostility and hatred and greed? Decontaminate it. Get away from all that stuff. And look, but look, it can't be just about avoiding all that. You know, the Pharisees were good at avoiding everything, but what are you doing that's actually good, that you actually should be doing, that you should be improving? That's why the third point is to perfect positive holiness. We, we heard chapter 7, verse 1, tell us to bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. Or in other words, to perfect holiness out of reverence for God. That is to grow in holiness, to mature in it so that we can become more like Christ. It's a progressive thing. It's a process of being like Jesus. And the good news is he gives you resources to help you. He gives you his Holy Spirit, a supernatural strength you didn't have before to live for God. He gives you his word. You got the Spirit in you, you got the Word with you to guide you in the right way to live. You got the church beside you to spur you on to Christ-like living. So you got to ask yourself some questions. Am I willing to avoid or to give up any practices or people that are keeping me from holiness? Am I willing to discipline my mind so that I fill it up with God's things, good things, wholesome things, instead of the garbage of this world? Am I willing to devote myself to, to these convictions, to live by these scriptural convictions? Because you are his temple. We are his temple. Keep the temple holy. Keep yourself a holy temple for God. My dear children, remember who you are. Represent God well. Do you belong to him? Today I want to invite you to put your trust in Jesus, to repent of your sins, to turn away from it, and to put your hope in Jesus Christ to be your Savior, your Lord. And if you'd like to reach out to us and let us help you make the best decision ever, text your name to that number on the screen or email us. Or if you're here on site, meet with us up here at the front after the service. We would love to pray with you. We would love to answer your questions or get you ready for your baptism today to get that bath, to get that dunk in the tub back there behind me. We got towels, rolls, clothes, everything you need, hair dryers, you name it. Because look, Scripture talks about it in this way. First Peter 3.21 says that baptism now saves us. And he, he clarifies, look, I don't mean it's the cleansing of dirt from the body, but it's the appeal to God for a clean conscience. So it's in that moment that you are made clean in Christ. But not only that, Acts 2.38 says in baptism, not only are you forgiven, but you are filled with the Holy Spirit who helps you to grow in your holiness the rest of your life. So begin that journey with him today. Let's pray about that together. Lord, you can pray with me in your own heart. Say, Father, I need forgiveness. I know that I'm not perfect, but your son is, and I want to be like him. So thank you, Lord, for making me holy through Jesus' sacrifice. Now would you strengthen me to live holy, to have your way in my life. I no longer want to resist your will. I want to embrace it. And God, thank you so much for forgiving me over and over and over. Take away my guilt. Help me to avoid anyone or anything that's pulling me away from you. 
I want you to cleanse all the pollution out of my heart and deliver me from all the sin that's entangling me. I want to be a temple where you can live that's set apart for you, that's sacred. Make me your saint, God. Help me to submit to your spirit, to keep me filled with your spirit and help me to overcome because I pray all that in Jesus' name, amen. Stand together, sing.